I invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to Galatians chapter 4. This evening we will briefly study verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this evening our ears have been ringing with the sound of your voice. O Lord, how you have whispered and spoken and shouted throughout history and recorded in the scriptures by the hands of your prophets and apostles that we might hear of Christ and know him and receive him as Lord. Father in heaven, this evening we pray that the babe in the manger would be beheld as the Lord sacrificed a redeemer for sinners. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This Lord's Day, we will sing, as will many Christians, the famous hymn, Joy to the World, a hymn about Jesus Christ. But why is it a joy? You see, that's the question that our scripture answers this evening. That Christ is a joy to all the world because he was sent by God because he took us upon himself and he redeemed us. And those are the three things we'll consider this evening from the text of scripture. Christ was sent by God, he took us upon himself, and thirdly, he redeemed us. The scripture is very short this evening, and you think to yourself, how is it possible that the pastor can have a three-point sermon? But I promise it's there. In fact, it's not even that hard to see. If you look at verse 4, it begins to go in parts. And it's as if the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Galatia, has the intention to put the entire gospel in just these two verses. And it's magnificent. We read in verse 4, the beginning that Christ was sent by God. We read that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. That as the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. The first thing that Paul wants you to know and for me to know this evening and to rejoice over is that the coming of Christ was no historical accident It was not an oddity of chronology. It was the work of God himself. You see, one of the things that people would like us to think is that Christ is just one teacher among many teachers. That he was either a mythical person or if they're very generous, if they're unbelievers, that he was a historic teacher. And that it is a significant thing in world history that he came. However, it's something of a happenstance. He found success and he had great influence. But Paul says, no, friends, that all of this was according to the will of God the Father. 
That all of this was his plan unfolding. All of this was to display to us the depth of his heart for sinners. And so the question, what is the fullness of time? What does Paul mean by this? Well, I want to tell you that it is the progressive revelation of things about Jesus so that when he came, we could see him in his fullness. Let's think of it for just a second. In the Old Testament, in the person of the first Adam, the first man, we have very much the shadow of the man that would come. The second Adam, the better man, Jesus Christ, the one who would redeem sinners who fell in Adam. This wonderful telling, we've read about it this evening in the first reading. We go on and we see the shadow of Christ in the covenant promises of God. Just think for just a moment of Genesis 3.15. You can hear the echo of Christ. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's God talking to there? The serpent. But who is he speaking of more broadly and more wonderfully? It is the seed of the woman. It is the seed of the woman who is Christ Jesus the Lord. We go on and we consider the promises getting larger and more beautiful. And we think of the promise that the Lord would give a king to his people. For Samuel chapter 13 verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. And again in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, as he speaks to David. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. These promises that the Lord makes show forth the image of Jesus. You continue to think on the fullness of time, the great expanse of history unfolding and rapidly approaching that first time of the coming of Christ. We can think about his shadow that was cast in the judges and in the kings. In our evening services, we've been studying 1 Samuel and the fall and failure specifically of Saul, the first king of the people of Israel. Well, there is this wonderful promise that we just read a second ago about the king that would come who would be a man after the heart of God. Do you hear the message of Christ and the character of his affections and the person that he would come to be, a man concerned with the love of the heart of God We'll return again to 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. The telling of the coming Christ who will be the king. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The unfolding of the fullness of time. We can think also about Christ throughout history, who was heralded by the mouths of prophets and angels. Isaiah writes in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, 
a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yet another prophecy, Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The telling of the suffering of the Lord hundreds of years before he took his first breath in flesh, born of the virgin. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 17. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of David. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. In the mouth of the last great Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist proclaimed in John 1, 29 and 30, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. After the fullness of time, Now, we've just read all of these different verses of Scripture, and you're saying, Pastor, we've heard a lot of the Bible read this evening. Yes, friends, we have, but why? It's to make this point that Jesus Christ is much larger, more wonderful, and glorious than we could even gather through the snapshot of his earthly life recorded in the New Testament. I can illustrate this pretty simply. Some years ago, I was visiting... Uh, the Alps with my family and I had a small camera. I've never had a very nice camera but nonetheless I always do my best and I'm taking pictures of these magnificent mountains and I'm sitting at the end of the evening and I'm going through and looking and every time I see a picture I'll say to Elise you know it's just not anything like it actually is. It's not as grand. It doesn't even get close. It's, I may as well not even take pictures. Just open my eyes and stare around because that's as good as I'm going to get. The photo just can't conceal and contain all the greatness of what is around. There's something of that in the passage that we're reading. That after the fullness of time, the passage of history, the revelation 
in the shadows and the prophets and the persons of the scriptures that the fullness of Christ is seen and understand in the richness of his contours, of his pierced hands and pierced feet. But that's not all we read. It's not just after the fullness of time, but that he was sent by God and that he is God's son. Now this is wonderfully significant. We have to ask the question, why would God do this sort of thing? Not just paint the picture of who he would be, but why would he send him? Why would he take the eternal God, God the Son, forever at his side, and wrap him in flesh and put him in the womb of the virgin? Well, the scriptures speak very clearly about why he did so in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what is the answer to the question, why did he send him? God so loved the world. It was God's love that caused him to send his precious, undefiled, eternal, sweet, beloved Son for me and for you. As you go on in this verse, in verse 4, we read that he is the Son of God, yet born of woman, born under the law. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He took us upon himself. So the two things that this part of the verse tells us is who and what. And the who is this. That Jesus is the Son of God. You're intended to take that away from this. Not just a son adopted by God, but the very Son of God. This verse could be well translated. He sent his own Son. It has this emphatic construction about who Christ is. He is God's Son as naturally as can be conceived. He's beloved and he has the fullness of divinity. Very God of very God, light of light. God from everlasting to everlasting, never having a beginning and never having an end. That's who the Father sent. The Son, His Son, God to us. This should make you stop and take note because... If you read the scriptures, you know the effect of the fall. It's what? Well, it's alienation from God. It's a loss of fellowship. It's a broken relationship. It's enmity. It's warfare. It's being at odds with God and not having access to him. And what he's saying here is God is once again dwelling with you as his people. It's magnificent. Jesus is God. That's the first aspect of who he is. And that is one portion of his nature. The second thing is that we read he is born of woman. Naturally of Mary. Really human. Not a divine mind in a human body, but the fullness of a human. With a human will, a human mind, human taste, and all of the limitations of a human body. He was completely man, made of Mary's substance, consubstantial with her. 
She was really his mother. He looked like her. He spoke like her. He acted like her. So what are you to read here? That he took you and me up upon himself. He became us, the God of all eternity, united himself unbreakably yet distinguishably with our humanity. It became his. He breathed, he ate, he drank, he sweated, he slept, he rose. Every aspect of our humanity dwelt bodily within him. Everything except our sin. He took us up and bore us, not just as a cloak to be placed over his divinity, but rather the fullness of humanity united to his eternal divinity. All of our weaknesses, all of our trials, all of our pains are his because he loved us and took it upon himself. You're supposed to see that. The God-man with the fullness of his divinity and the fullness of your humanity who knows how you feel and has power to help you, who knows how lonely you have been and can be, how much your pains can upset your life and change the way you think and interact and hurt your relationships. He knows these things. He even knows what it is to be tempted in every way just as you are, just as I am, even yet, and though he was without sin. He took you, he took me upon himself. Not only that, we read that he does a work, the answer to the question of what Christ did. We're told he was born under the law. He was born under the law. What are we talking about? We're talking about the moral law of God, the law that was revealed in the Old Testament the thing that every person is held to. To keep it is holiness and to break it is sin. And we're told here that the lawgiver subjected himself willingly to the standards of his perfect law. Not only the standards, but all of the demands, all of the liabilities, and all of the punishments of the law. He took it upon himself in fullness. And he did it so that he could be our Savior. And so friends, what do I want you to hear from this second part of verse 4? It is this, that Jesus came, the eternal Son of God, and became man so that we might take him and live. So that we might take him and live. In verse 5, we have the great answer of the incarnation or the enfleshment of Christ. It is to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus was submitted to the law to keep the law in every part. But the purpose of that was for your redemption and my redemption. Now you ask the question, well, what's going on here? Well, it's the language of purchase. 
And the Bible's very intentional about that language. And the reason why that is is that when we sin, we deserve a punishment. It's as if we dig a hole of debt down deeper and deeper against the Lord. We deserve his righteous displeasure. We deserve punishments for the sins that we have done, the things that we have thought, the things we have said, the things we have left undone in the things that we have offended him and our fellow man regarding. We have become a guilty people and a people, as it were, in body and in flesh and in soul, locked in chains as slaves to our sins. And the language here is of redemption, that he came to purchase us. What was the cost? It was perfect. An absolute obedience to the law. A thing that you and I can't do, we never have done. A thing that we failed to do. A thing that only Christ could do. Why did Christ come? Why can we say joy to the world? Because Christ came and lived for us perfectly. And he took the punishment for us entirely. No more punishment, no more guilt, no more enmity with God. But to be loved, to be united with the Lord, and to be called more than just not his enemy, but as the scripture tells us, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now friends, it's one thing to just simply say, you're off the hook. Here's your get out of jail free card. It's an entirely different thing to say here is the inheritance of the one whom you've offended. You came in and stole what belonged to the son. You deserve punishment. But here, here's the keys to the whole kingdom. He purchased it for you and it's a free gift. You can have it if you'll believe in him. And not only that, you'll have a place at my table I'll know your name. You'll know my name. I'll love you. I'll speak to you in love and compassion and kindness. I'll embrace you as a son, as a daughter. I'll rejoice over your victories. I'll weep over your failures. I will always run after you and I will always find you when you're lost. You will never, ever be without a father who pursues you for your good and who loves you. That's why we can sing joy to the world, friends. That's why we are rejoicing in this season. It's not for commercial goods. It's not for time with families. It's not for all of the things that we have and enjoy. It's for the one whom we've been given. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our older brother, the bridegroom of the church. Friends, let us rejoice and praise him. Let us give him the glory that is due to his name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures. Oh Lord, how in just a few words you can display to us just a peek at the immensity of your unlimited glory. Father, we pray that the rest of this evening as we praise you, that it would be acceptable in your sight, that you'd be at work in our hearts, causing us to will and to do that that which pleases your heart. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.